Welcome to the Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEO Podcast. I'm Martin Harsberger, President of Measurable Results, LLC, and martinharsberger.com. I'm a retired CEO of both a manufacturing company and a third-party logistics company. We were lucky enough to grow both to eight-figure organizations. I've been consulting with small and mid-tier companies for the past 16 years. Our mission with this podcast is to provide a forum to help CEOs in these critical industries share their stories, share best practices, and learn from each other. If you'd like to be a guest in our podcast, go to www.martinharsberger.com slash apply. Each interview will take about 30 minutes. Thanks for listening. Hi, welcome to this episode of Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs. Uh, today we have with us Mason George, president of IMC Companies National Accounts. Welcome, Mason. Hey, thanks for having me, Martin. Well, I know a little bit about your company. I see the trucks are worse being uh, in your region. So uh, tell the tell listeners about what you guys do. I mean, you do quite a few things. So let's. Yeah, that's a great start here. But we are the largest marine drainage company in the country. We have over 2,200 trucks in uh, 48 different locations. We're a national brand. Uh, so we like to tell our clients that if you have containers in L.A. to New York and Savannah, Memphis, anywhere in the country, we can move them for you. Um, we're very heavily asset based all the way up until about 2016. And then we started getting into the brokerage uh, world where we would broker marine drainage moves to uh, the highly fragmented industry that we live in today. So we're still very focused on the marine drainage move, picking up from the port, delivering to customers, taking the empty back or loading with a export back to the port. But many of our uh, assets now, uh, it's a little bit of a blended approach, right? So we use our own trucks as well as other trucks in the industry to get this done. Well, obviously, it's a lot to discuss on picking up at the ports, right? Uh, I've read a lot of articles on it lately. and uh, So what, what's your take on what's happening now? You know, it it's hard to, I think in a problem this big, it's not one major issue that is driving the problem. I think it's a lot of different things that combine to make a pretty nasty situation. Um, so I, I would say, um, first, we have a lack of real estate at our major ports that can't support the inbound volume that's coming in. Um, the next thing I'd say is that there truly is a driver shortage out there, but the driver shortage we've been talking about we've been talking about this for, you know, 10 plus years, right? So everybody hasn't been able to hire enough drivers for a long time, which really drove us into the brokerage world is how we can use other drivers because we can't hire ours fast enough. The, uh, and and the data will point to that too. There are actually 5% less drivers in the industry today. And I mean, talk about every subsect of transportation in the entire country, there's 5% less professional drivers in 2021 than there was in 2019, which is, you know, a, a pretty hard obstacle to think about when you had at least uh, 30% growth, you know, from the COVID year in 2020 to 2021 in volume uh, for containers coming into the LA and Long Beach area. They're getting a lot of the focus today because it's just exacerbated the, the issue. There's less real estate, there's less drivers, which is driving up another problem in that containers are going higher. They used to be parked on wheels and you would come in, grab them from wheels on chassis and get going. Now they're not. They're going higher and higher and higher, which 
leads to unproductive lift moves. So when our driver comes in and says, I'd like that third box on the bottom, they have to move five to get to them. And then the guy behind them says, oh, I would like that seventh box from the bottom. Now they got to move six to them. You know what I mean? So it's, it's just a compounded issue of, you know, a year or two ago, they would only have two or three unproductive moves. Now they're having twice the amount of moves. The issue now is, is that my driver is sitting at the terminal waiting for these unproductive lifts just all day long. <laughs> and um, what we're, you know, uh, so so that's, you know, a little bit of it in a nutshell, um, along with just lack of infrastructure, you know, our supply chain is a big pipe and, and you can only take so much water through that pipe um, unless you start expanding that pipe. And that's kind of what we're, we're, we're getting today. It's it's interesting. I had a graphical representation of supply chain uh, on LinkedIn. Somebody was tra- tracking the ships off of Long Beach. How many were lined up out there? I think at one day we're 90, 100 now. Yeah, it's 100 and plus. I went to Ship Tracker and I thought, what's the whole supply chain look like? And holy Moses. You don't realize that until you look at all those ships. It looks like you could walk across the ocean on the ship, right? <laughs> yeah. So the size of it's amazing. Yeah. There's an estimated 1.5 million containers that are sitting in the uh, bay over there in in Los Angeles and Long Beach that cannot uh, get you can't get birth. And and that's obviously some very valuable product. I think that there's estimates of that being, you know, a few billion dollars worth of cargo value that they're trying to bring in to the United States, which, you know, typically in, in what we do in consumer goods, that's a lot of Christmas presents. That's a lot of um Halloween decorations that never made it in, or that's a lot of um, Thanksgiving items and potentially people who are already ordering in February. So that's, that's um, just compounding the issue with the bottleneck that there's not enough throughput through the ports these days. I read an article yesterday, a driver wrote out in California. He said, part of the problem is there's no chassis to haul the, haul the containers because, uh, well, truckers don't own them. For the, for the most part, right? They're looking to pick them up. And he was talking about coming to the to port. There's a two-hour wait to get into the port, then another wait to get your box, and another wait to get back out where they were making two and three trips a day. Now they're down to one because of congestion. So it's yep. really worse from a standpoint rather than digging out of it, isn't it? Uh, there's no doubt. So um, exactly <laughs> what – I mean, that driver's right on. I didn't see the article, but that's what we deal with every day. I mean – the way that um, that port is operating is is very difficult. So I, I give you an example. If you have an import container, you have to have a scheduled pickup appointment, right? And that pickup appointment is on a two-hour range. So you try to get there at 10 o'clock. Some ports or terminals are, are, are much stricter. They give you only a 30-minute window to hit your appointment, right? So if you're 30 minutes early, they won't let you in. If you're 30 minutes late, you missed your appointment. But how do you plan for, you know, 3,000 trucks trying to get in at the same time? So you might show up an hour before your appointment. And if you're early, you're going to wait. If you're late, you miss it. And if you're on time, you're going to wait again, you know. So it's it's extremely difficult uh, to pick up in that atmosphere. And, you know, it's it's just extremely unproductive because – you got to think there's guys that are in this line that are trying to get cargo. They're, they're trying to do their job. They really are. They don't want to be in that terminal any longer than anybody else. Uh, but it's, it's very complicated. They're treated 
um, harshly when they miss appointments, even though there's things that are outside of their control to do so, right? And I'm, it's beyond the, the maintenance and flat tires and all that. That's actually gotten a lot better. It's more, you know, hey, uh, I had an 11 o'clock appointment and I've been here since nine and now it's 1130 and you're not letting me in. You know, I mean, that happens all day long. It's, it's pathetic. Well, these guys are paid by the load too. So, I, I mean, it's, I, I don't know. It's an interesting problem. That's so exactly you right. With your, with your company, with uh, with the everybody's got the three big problems: people, uh, the supply chain, which you're intimately involved with, and government regulation, right? Right. And they're all getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, where, where do you guys sit? Well, um, so I would tell you that um, our our strategy has been not to look at these as um, problems, but rather opportunities. How about that, right? So we, we're, we're optimists, we're in the trucking business. We always think things are gonna get better. It's just kind of in our nature. Uh, so what we've done is try to create programs that work better for the terminal, that also work better for the customer, and then kind of in turn work better for our drivers. So what we're doing is combining peel piles and um, we're actually calling them smart stacks these days in the sense that um, containers are offloaded from a vessel and they're put into a certain area at the terminal. And instead of doing all the unproductive lifts that I talked about earlier, our guys are just grabbing the one on the top every time. So when our trucks are in line, they go to one certain area where our smart stack is and the container at the top is what our driver gets. So it creates an issue in the sense that I'm sending drivers into the terminal and they're saying, well, hey, Mason, what am I getting today? <laughs> and I say, well, I don't know. You might be getting a uh, Torrance or a, a Santa Fe Springs or an Inland Empire or a Yardmouth, you know, because this is what's all in the pile. And I can tell you what I think you're probably going to get. But going in and uh, doing it this way, even though you have some unpredictability with what box you're going to get, if you can make every move as close to each other move as possible, then you're able to get some fluidity with your drivers and um, also get some fluidity with the terminal. So we made a, a pretty uh, just short video that talked about and illustrated the issues with the unproductive lifts and what we think that the smart stack could do here. And, you know, it, you have 30 drivers in line, you're going to have 30 productive lifts every time um, yeah. where you're doing it the uh, appointment way you're looking at at least an average of four or five unproductive moves almost per driver, right? So that's a, that really adds up when you have 30 guys and it's 150 lifts versus 30 lifts, you know, and now you're starting to see some efficiencies. So right, right. That seems like it's not a genius at this, but that seems like it's common sense, right? I mean, uh... <laughs> Martin, you're giving us a lot of credit here. Uh, so I'll tell you the yeah, what we what I would say in the container industry, um, Malcolm McLean made a Malcolm McLean rather uh, made uh, the container in the 1950s, right? And that was the biggest innovation of the day was um, how the box changed the world. It was a great book you guys should check that out. Um, and then what what was the innovation between then then the early 50s all the way up, you know. Uh, to recent date. And I would say probably the next biggest one was when people figured out how to do a stack train. <laughs> so we'll just stack two, tr two containers on one rail car and send it in. I and mean, it's like, Oh man, we were high-fiving each other on that. So 
our, our innovation, which just makes me chuckle a little bit is just grab the top one, you know? And I mean, people yeah. think that that's amazing, but it's on, it's on, you know, on par with everything else that we've done in the industry. So, um, but it, you're right. It's a very simple solution. It makes a lot of sense, but it, you have to have some tech behind it, right? You have to have a lot of oomph behind what you're doing and some density because. That's what I was going to um, ask you. Is it, is it unique to you because you have a lot of trucks and you can send 30 trucks in there and handle everything where, where an individual driver or, or a smaller company, they can't do the same thing? Exactly. So, um, you know, our industry is very fragmented. The average number of um, trucks per company is like under 12, right? So having the density to do this with one customer is difficult. And then having the density to do it with multiple customers to get that like super big pile is um, really been somewhat of a differentiator. And then it's also our tech too. There's there's not many companies out there and we, we deal a lot with a lot of vendors. It's very difficult for them to be dynamic in their dispatching, right? Because if you have a line of 30 drivers and, um, but they don't know who's getting what, that driver's got to call in every time to say, hey, um, I've got MSKU, you know, 548-321-7, where do you want me to take it? And then that guy's got to look it up and tell that guy where to go. And that just causes delays. Yeah. Um, heaven forbid that guy has to go take a, you know, a lunch break or a bathroom break and he misses the call and the guy sitting at the terminal can't get out. So what we're, we're doing is, um, we've got an app, we've got, um, some website technology, like just webpage technology that directs all this stuff. We also have some portals that go with our vendors as well. The app's really been the, the big driver that's been successful. Um, there's a lot of things you can do with an app that makes it uh, pretty attractive, um, and it's this this whole nature of just dynamically dispatching a whole bunch of containers and, and having everything routed correctly in our system to to achieve some success. Was well, that maybe a dumb question? But does that present an opportunity for you guys to uh, to create a, a dispatch function to to uh, to include other drivers, other other uh, truckers? No, that's a great that's a great question. That's exactly what we're trying to do. Um, I, we believe that. You know, if you look at supply chain, it's been very, um, very, very capitalistic, um, very um, fragmented, um, every man for himself, yeah. somewhat of, a, of an industry. And that's great. You know, I think that's that took us a long way as an industry and a country. And, and I think their competition is always a great thing. However, when you're looking at a problem this big and everybody is still um, concerned about only their own interests, I think that we're missing some opportunity for synergies and doing things better. So to your point, um, we want other vendors or truckers that are in the industry to help work with us here, because I think that makes the whole system more efficient. I mean, yeah. if you had 10,000 containers on terminal and you did every container this way, I mean, think of the efficiencies that you could get. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's crazy. The, yeah. the timeline would be amazing. So I mean, we feel like um, we were, we're really on to something here. If we can continue to kind of get the word out on what we're trying to do, um, we've got all the technology to make it happen. Um, and we are, we're able to work well with other trucking companies who want to help support this. And ideally, we get customers that, that they work with and trucks that they have. And it just becomes a much more efficient marketplace because the way we're doing it right now is just prime for um, 
you know, disruption and losing drivers. I mean, there's not what we're doing today is not conducive to anybody. We're losing um, capacity and steam based on uh, just the the inefficiencies in the marketplace today. Yeah, for sure. I can. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, I was sitting there thinking, God, if you could put together a third party, I don't know, it called dispatch, but some kind of uh, logistics. Right. Uh, yeah. Logistics management group, I guess what it would be. And uh, that's an opportunity. You're right. It's interesting. Right. We like to think so. It's it's um, it's a little bit hot off the press because, you know, in a normal environment, you know, 2018, it's it's OK. I mean, it's not the best, but the way that the the supply chain was running back then was was OK. But what we're concerned about when we talk to our customers about, they see all of this lingering on into 2023, yeah. you know, uh, for sure. And I mean, you're talking about guys who couldn't think six weeks ahead of time, <laughs> you know, um, we'd ask for forecasting and they would say, well, we really don't know because we haven't, you know, we haven't gotten our containers loaded up. Now they're saying, you know, their best guess is that this is going to be an ongoing issue. So we feel like this is a great time for us to try to uh, harness the issues that we have today with the unproductive lifts and the long lines and the appointment systems and all of those things that go into to trying to get a container out. Yeah, when you work with manufacturers, you when you go into a plant, you look theory of constraints, right? Where's the biggest bottleneck? And you fix that bottleneck and, and you move on to the next one. In the supply chain, I mean, the whole thing is, and it's probably volume driven too, because as you pointed out, this probably worked well 10, 15 years ago, but volume has been increasing. You know, population's going up, the, the actual outsourcing's going up. I mean, so the volume is a lot higher than it was 10 or 15 years ago, I would assume, right? Oh, it, it is without a doubt. I mean, so I will tell you, I, I feel like we were heading to this critical mass point, right? And it, I referenced a number earlier and between 2020 and 2021, Long Beach had a 30% growth in container volume numbers, right? Part of that is that 2020 was uh, had, had their own issues. And I'm talking year to date, okay? So if you take January through uh, September, Part of that was that um, there was such a dip during the COVID, you know, uh, months of April, May, and June, and, and a little bit of July that everybody was um, kind of pulling back their supply chain. And as they pulled it back, um, obviously people—I uh, don't think we really foreseen foresaw this—but a lot people started buying a lot more consumer goods. You know, they couldn't travel as much. They had the, you know. Um, some stimulus money from the government. And then also, if, if you remember, I remember reading reports in the Wall Street Journal and, and, and everywhere else saying how healthy the consumer was. <laughs> the, you know, for the first time ever, we had some, you know, healthy saving rates and um, debt was low. And then we run into this kind of perfect storm of the consumer's really healthy, they can't travel and they're getting extra government stimulus checks and their, their payrolls are secured with PPE money. Um, so what do you do? You know, uh, well, let's go buy a bunch of consumer stuff, you know, and that obviously flooded it all in. But, you know, that, that was 2020 to 2021. But I, I mean, I feel like um, if you look at the 2019 numbers um, and you said, OK, what was the 2019 year to date numbers versus the 2021 year to date numbers? Um, it was a little, little less encouraging. It's uh, it, it's really 15 percent growth 
over a two-year period. So if you annualize that, that's 7.5% of container volume. And these are obviously huge numbers because this, those two are the biggest you know, complexes in the United States. But my concern would be, um, have we reached a critical mass on how we, we currently do business? You know, if we have a modest. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, but at least the question, I mean, like Long Beach, you can't make it any bigger. You can add, I don't know if you can add cranes. You're pretty much maxed out, right? Right. So, so as the volume increases, what happens to it? That's it. So I, I feel like. It's all coming from one direction, from the east. That's so, right. <laughs> So, um, you know, I, and I, it, and I'll tell you this from just like our, our, our total country's infrastructure. I love uh, DeSantis in Florida who raises his hand and says, hey, bring all the ships over here. That's great. Well, the problem is, is that your infrastructure is probably way worse. You know, I mean, you, you send one of those mega vessels over there, you guys will be blocked up for, you know, two or three weeks. So um, it's, it's uh, I love the innovation and the can-do attitude. Do not get me wrong, but we've got I feel like a systemic problem in Long Beach in LA because we are at a point that if we don't start looking at doing things differently, any nominal growth in 2022 is going to just we're, we're going to be here. You know, we're stuck. And um, the 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 government regulations and the fines and penalties that are coming out based on container dwell is trying to attack the right issue. But the problem is it's not going to solve anything. The customers that I talk to don't want their containers sitting at the terminal any longer than they do already. Right. I mean, not one person who's imported something six weeks ago says, Oh man, I'm so glad that I've got this great deal of a storage opportunity inside these ports. You know, I mean, that's not how it works. So there's, there's obvious constraints with picking these up from the Marine terminals um, and then there's other issues with um, along the line, there are problems in that some of the warehouses can't get enough labor to unload the containers. That's a that's a real thing. But what we feel like we can solve is how we pick them up easier. Right. And and more productively. Yeah, for sure. But you guys still get it unloaded. Right? You still got to get it out of there. That's right. Well, you did answer a question I had. Uh, uh, the next one was a differentiator. I think you got pretty clear on that. And I think you've got an opportunity relative to the, uh, well, you do, you're, you're exactly right. You do have a big opportunity there. Somebody's got to solve it. I don't right. think uh, driving at night because there's less traffic is going to solve the, the entire problem. <laughs> <laughs> Man, uh, we've been driving at night for a long time. And I mean, unfortunately the ports aren't open 24 seven still, you know, no. uh, Hey, we, you know, uh, the president came out and um, for the first time that I think ever talked about um, our industry with marine drainage and the ports specifically. Um, and he had a, you know, I don't think it's a bad idea. It's not a bad idea to have 24-7, but the problem is no one's doing it, you know, save a few terminals um, that have stretched out. But there's nothing, um, there's no alignment from that yet. Right. Um, the only thing that we have pretty much aligned on is that there is a penalty for having containers sit there longer than they want up there, you know, and that's, that's, that's been where we are today. I don't know if it's true or not. I, I read a lot of articles on this. And one of the articles I read said that a, a longshoreman in, in Long Beach uh, with overtime is making about average $171,000 a year. Does that sound right? Yeah. Um, so you know, the, it takes away the overtime, doesn't it? 
Right. Well, the, the, the oh, gracious. Yeah. The, the salaries are one thing. It's the, it's the medical plans that are the other. I mean, these guys can have full on heart surgery and have zero out of pocket expense. I mean, wow. the, the stuff that you hear is just unreal. Um, and one of the things I remember uh, that was a negotiating point the last time, and some of this is just, just kind of beyond ridiculous is uh, those guys wanted um, they were upset how their medical um, plan was being taxed because they saw that as like a they had, they were attaching a dollar value to it and they wanted the extra compensation to cover the tax for their medical plan that was just outrageous. So, um, you know, you got to have good qualified labor at the terminals. There is no doubt. Um, in LA and Long Beach is a very expensive place to live, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, you would hope that with those salaries and those benefits that the unions um, would be able to recruit and retain labor pretty quickly. And it just, but unfortunately it just doesn't look like that that's happened yet. Right. And that's, that's what we need. We need, we need more longshoremen um, and we need more productivity out of those longshoremen to, to help our drivers more effectively. Yeah. I, I just, the reason I brought it up, it seems like the incentive isn't there to step up productivity. Right. I mean, they're, they're paid to do what they do. And if, that's right. Too much for the unions. Yeah. Whereas yeah. the the rest of the world is, I've got, uh, you know, I really need to get three or four turns today to get everything out of demurrage, but I'm looking at like one, you know, and yeah. and every they get paid the same no matter if it's one or three or four, right? And that's that's an issue. Well, uh, last question I guess I have is, uh, and maybe you've already answered is, where do you think the industry is going? What are the biggest opportunities and threats? I mean, we, we talked about the threats. <laughs> yeah. They're pretty obvious. Oh, man. I, um, I again, I think I'll, I'll reference this, though. I, I, I am concerned that we're reaching a, a critical mass point with how our supply chain is run today, right? And we've got to think differently. Um, any nominal growth um, is going to really hurt us. I mean, we've had... Um, many disruptions in 22. We had COVID, we had the Everglory getting stuck in the Panama Canal, we had hurricanes, we had ice, you know, Memphis, Tennessee, you know, where I'm from had two weeks of just detrimental, you know, snow that we probably, we couldn't move for two weeks. I mean, it was just amazing. So um, there's a laundry list of issues that have come and arisen over the last few years in supply chain it really just exposes how weak we are, you know, and in, in, in what we're doing. So I think um, at one level, we are primed for disruption. The next Malcolm McLean's out there trying to figure out how to handle trade differently and more efficiently. We've got to figure out a way to continue to grow our infrastructure to be able to handle this or change it substantially. Right. Um, that's a whole nother issue um, and how we do that. And, Nothing in the three and a half trillion dollar bill that was originally proposed, I, I believe, had um, anything that was going to be substantial change. You know, they had a lot of let's just upgrade what we're doing, but they it wasn't. We need another port terminal complex in California. You know, there wasn't any of that stuff. It's kind of what I was saying earlier. You can't make it bigger in Long Beach in L.A. Right. Because everything's coming from the east. That's right? it. Another another option is be make more stuff here again. You know, which we get into this because we outsourced everything from the eighties on, right? Yeah, and and um, you know, I I put some thought into that, thinking you know this is just going to help 
drive manufacturing in the United States. But the issue I think that we have right now, Morton, is that those jobs are not very desirable. You know, they're not high grade machinery job. It's, you know, I hate to tell you, our labor force in our country probably does not want to make socks. You know, that's a really tough job. And it, it, in, at some point, um, and, 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 and I'll give you another just some color on, on this for our drivers. What we have seen is, and, and I think the easy thing to say is, let's just pay our drivers more money, right? And we'll attract drivers into the industry, right? And I am for driver making as much money as that guy can make. But what we have seen over the last year is we've increased our wages 30, 35%. And it has actually just made them, you know, work less. <laughs> so they kind of, they, they hit this, um, this, this number, you know, every week on, Oh, that's great. I made my money. Now I'm, I'm going to kind of, you know, do maybe half day on Friday, not work Saturdays. And that's, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm very happy for those guys to be able to do that. They work harder than pretty much anybody that I know in the industry, but, or in the country, um, that's just not the effect we wanted, right? We would want, you know, to attract new drivers to the space, um, show people how this is, but it's not just a snap of the fingers of, I'll oh, just pay wages more and the market will correct itself. Um, we have a labor problem, right? And, and that's a huge issue. So trying to um, bring manufacturing back to the United States, um, although I'm, I'm for it, I mean, finding a way to do that with the right industry um, for, for, for that would drive, um, what I would, what I would say good jobs here. I, I think that would be fantastic. I just, the problem is I don't really see it happening with the current environment we have unless well, something crazy happens. Yeah, the workforce is definitely the, the, uh, I don't know how to describe it sometimes. I mean, I, I ran manufacturing companies too, and I, it was the same thing when they worked overtime, made a lot of money one week, I can get them in the next week because that's they, right. Yeah. And, and don't yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that that's a that's a negative trade or anything, but that's just kind of the facts, right? Is that yeah, you yeah, know so you, you can't plan production if you don't know what you're going to have, right? Same that's right. material. So, so what well, what I think um, would be you know I, I think where where the industry needs to go, the truck that you drive today is a lot different than the truck you drove in the '80s, right? I mean, it's got lane avoidance, auto braking. Uh, we have cameras in the truck for coaching. The first thing I think we need to do is start dropping that CDL age incrementally over time to something that's a little bit more reasonable, like an 18, right? I mean, today it's 21. And with the technology that's coming out in trucks, you know, it's feasible to understand that we could be dropping that down to 18 years. And, and another example here is that you have um, soldiers who have been in Afghanistan and Iraq who have been driving you know, commercial vehicles for the military for years over there and they come back and they're, they can't get a CDL here. I mean, that's pathetic, but um, I think that would be something that would start helping attract drivers to the industry. Um, especially over time, if we did this with the help of technology as we go, because these things eventually are going to drive themselves for the most part. And then you just have to worry about how you get it into that DC and back it up in, in a responsible way. So that would be a big help. Um, and, and then I think the next, you know, um, way we really have to start thinking about things is how do we get these terminals to be optimized? You know, we optimized our fleet a long time ago. So I'm not sending drivers all over the city hunting for containers. We know where these things are. 
We have systems to optimize that this guy just dropped off here. We just have an empty reported on the, you know, across the street, go grab that thing kind of, kind of, kind of methodology. And we need that information for our terminals. So if we have a line of trucks that are coming in and we don't have a peel pile set up or a smart stack, um, I need them to recognize that I really don't care what you give my trucks. I just want the best move for you to keep you fluid and keep my trucks fluid. Yeah, um, so it really matters to the driver where he's going. I mean, he's, he's going to take a load. I mean, right? I, mean, he, I would think as a driver, I'm not a driver, but if I could delay my or increase my, decrease my wait time and everything, I'd rather go to a point maybe I'm not happy with because yes. I can make additional loads rather than sit there and wait to get, I mean, I don't know. But it's, 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 uh, it's the lesser of two evils, right? You might say, yeah, you know, yeah. man, my, I really don't like going to this place because my ex-girlfriend works there and she always gives me a hard time. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a real conversation we have. But, you know, the good thing is, is I'm going to spend four hours less waiting in line at this terminal to get in and out. So I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to bite the bullet and, and, and go do it. So, um, but that's exactly what you're saying. There's there, drivers like certain lanes for whatever reason. It could be a multitude of variables that they like that stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, what we're finding out is that if they can be productive inside the terminal, their days and, and lives are much better. Right. And that's what we're trying to sure. get. Well, listen, I think, how can folks get in touch with you? I want to learn more about what you guys do. Well, that's great. Um, we got a great website, which is imcc.com. And then we also set up another website, which is uh, peelpile.com. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. So I can send you that um, information too. Yeah, I appreciate that. Anything else you want to add to your... Oh, man. Uh, no, nah, Martin, I really enjoyed it. You, I mean, you kind of let me just run all over the place. So I hope I wasn't rambling too bad. But I, no, no, I did not at all. It. I enjoyed it, too. I mean, I knew this would be <laughs> an interesting one. Uh, and I appreciate your time. Sure. Uh, well, and, and thank you for having me on. And, and uh, um, appreciate appreciate you doing this for me. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs. If you're a successful CEO in manufacturing or supply chain and would like to be part of the program, please visit www.martinharsberger.com apply. If you got some value out of the interview, please share it on social media. We'd really appreciate it. Also, if you know someone that would make a great guest, tag them and let them know about the show. Again, our mission is to focus on manufacturing and supply chain CEOs. We'd like to share your story and provide industry trends and updates that would interest our listeners. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. Make sure you don't miss an episode. Go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and interviews go a long way in promoting the show. You can connect with me on social media. I'm on LinkedIn at uh, Martin Harshberger uh, or through my website, www.martinharshberger.com. Again, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening.